Give anxiety the boot. Head over to quietbegins.com and tell anxiety to take a hike. The program I created over there is going to help you dissolve anxiety so that you can start living without all those old worries. Quietbegins.com Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. And when it comes to mental health, I'm going to talk about a few things today that have to do with uh, work-life balance. And um, one of the things that destroys work-life balance, at least it has for me and many other people, is perfectionism. In fact, I would consider perfectionism a disease. And that's an unfair thing to say because there are people with real diseases that are really suffering and I do not mean to equate or compare but perfectionism is one of those disabling conditions or behavior traits that will definitely destroy your work-life balance if you don't have a hold of it, if you don't have a grasp of it. Meaning, it's okay to be a perfectionist as long as you have balance. It's okay to be a perfectionist as long as you know when to stop. (laughs) And that means when to stop working on something until it's perfect. In other words, a lot of perfectionists will continue working all day, all night, into the next day, into the next week, into the next month, into the next year, uh, continuing to fine-tune, continuing to tweak, continuing to work on something until they don't even realize that their life has passed them by and babies were born, kids grew up, romantic partners felt alone, and all kinds of terrible things that can happen when you are such a perfectionist that you just can't stop doing what you're doing. Workaholics are are often like this, and, um, you know, a lot of people that do their thing. And I'm not saying perfectionism is a bad thing. I am saying that it can be debilitating. It can be disabling. And yes, let's just use the term disease. It can be a disease because it can make you ill. I think it's important just to be aware of any perfectionism you have in yourself. And if you don't, and you're more well-balanced, or you don't really feel the need to make everything perfect, then I'm going to guess that you actually might be happier than most perfectionists. I'm not saying that there aren't other things going on in your life or that you need to deal with, but imagine, if you're not a perfectionist, if you had to make things perfect. Because perfection doesn't exist, so we try to continue doing things to make it perfect or make something perfect, and it's a futile effort because it never happens. I had to learn this the hard way, and a lot of other perfectionists had to learn this the hard way. I still consider myself a perfectionist, but I have now allowed imperfection to be my new definition of perfection. (laughs) Because when it's imperfect, that's perfect. I am imperfect. There are parts of me physically that I wish looked better. There are ways I think. There are things that I do that aren't perfect. I do not exercise as much as I should, meaning zero. And uh, (laughs) I have to change that right away. I stay in shape because I'm active, but if I'm not active, what happens? You know, I'm just going to probably fall apart. I'm in my 50s now, so that's going to be something important I need to do. 
why can't I be perfectionist in those areas of life? <laughs> why can't I eat the perfect food and do the perfect balance of exercise and recreation and leisure? It's difficult to be perfect in those areas, but it is a good lesson for us to consider perfectionism in the context of the area of life that we need the most work on. And I have a feeling if you're a perfectionist, you only apply your perfectionism to certain things. And you probably apply no perfectionism to other things. When I was a perfectionist, I did not apply perfectionism to getting the perfect haircut or the perfect body or the perfect outfit. You know, I did not apply perfectionism to a lot of those areas of life that I probably needed it more. However, what happened was, and this might be the same with you if you're a perfectionist in any area of life, is that I applied my perfectionism to the things that I knew how to do and knew well. And there's a reason we do that. And you probably already know the reason. I'm not going to make it a big reveal in the next segment, but I will talk about it more. The reason is because when we're good at something and we keep doing something we're good at, we feel like we're being productive. We feel like we're progressing in life. Uh, We feel like we're getting something accomplished. It feeds our reward center in the brain. I'm going to add one little tweak here. I'm going to do one more hour on this project. I'm going to add one more stroke to this painting. And now it's getting closer to perfect. But tomorrow I'm going to try again and make it different because I'm going to add one more stroke. I'm going to do one more hour and on and on and on. And of course, there are things that we need to get done. Some things require time, some projects, some issues that we're dealing with. doesn't mean we are trying to be perfect with it. It just means we still have steps to do. That's different than perfectionism. And I think you have to discern between where it's necessary to be perfect or not. For example, a heart surgeon is going to want to make sure that nothing's leaking when he or she is done. And so perfectionism would probably be a good trait in a heart surgeon, but the heart surgeon also knows that they have to deal with a certain amount of time that they can work on the body and around the heart and the arteries and they know that there's also going to be a big scar and maybe they'll do their best to make it not such a noticeable scar, but that might not be their priority. They may spend more time making sure that the bypass is completed and working and that you're sewn up and not leaking. And again, they'll do their best to avoid the scar, but they're not going to spend as much time or more on trying to make sure that cosmetically you look okay. I might be wrong, but I'm assuming that a heart surgeon's main focus, main goal, is to make sure your heart is pumping blood and your body is functioning correct, whereas a plastic surgeon might have to look at your scar and see what they can do about it. But the heart surgeon is going to be a perfectionist in working on your heart and around that area because they want to keep you alive. They want to make sure that it works. And I think perfectionism in that area of that profession is a great idea. (laughs) So again, perfectionism is not a problem when utilized properly in the proper areas of life, but it becomes a problem if the heart surgeon, for example, decided that they were going to spend a lot of time trying to make the wound look as perfect as possible. And you don't want a heart surgeon spending hours and hours just sewing you up when they have other things to do and other people to save and Maybe you can't be under that long, so they're going to continue. They're going to move on. I don't think I have to belabor that point, but you get what I'm saying, is that sometimes perfectionism is good in certain areas of life, and sometimes it can actually delay other important things. And this is another reason I think we sometimes are perfectionists in certain areas of life is because of procrastination. If you are a perfectionist in one area of life, and you continue on that road, aside from it maybe pleasing your reward or pleasure center of your brain, it is also delaying you from having to deal with something else. Perfectionism for me was a fantastic procrastination tool. 
<laughs> so if you use it as a procrastination tool, it is a good idea to notice that in yourself and tell yourself, hey, I might be using this to procrastinate on something else I don't want to do. And so there's all kinds of directions that we can take with perfectionism. I wrote an article on it at theoverwhelmedbrain.com a few years ago. It's called The Deception of Perfectionism. You can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and check it out there. Just look for the word perfect or perfection in the search field and you'll find it. But today I'm going to go over a specific message that somebody sent me. And they have very pointed questions at the end that I want to answer. And when we come back, I'll address those questions keeping the idea of what perfectionism is and does to us and how it affects our life when we use it especially as a procrastination tool and also an avoidance tool and also many times creating an imbalance in our life so that we end up unhappier more than happy making the idea of perfectionism feeding that reward center a waste of time. So there might be a futile process going on inside of you that isn't helpful at all. And when you realize the futility of something, it can sometimes help you stop doing that thing. Anyway, we'll talk about that very shortly. We'll be right back after this. I get asked a lot if I do one-on-one coaching, and the answer at the time of this recording is no. It is not something I do at the moment. It doesn't mean I won't do it in the future. I have done it in the past for quite a number of years, but I'm not doing it today. This is why I have a sponsor like BetterHelp. This podcast, as you probably have heard before, is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and they have been a perfect replacement tool for my own one-on-one coaching and in many ways offer more than I ever could. They have licensed professional counselors who specialize in all kinds of things, depression, stress, relationships, sleeping, trauma, grief, and anger. Anything that you're dealing with, anything that you want to talk about, BetterHelp offers you customized online therapy. You could do it through video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a licensed professional. So this isn't just like some self-help path. This isn't like a program that you watch or listen to. These are real people that respond to you. And as soon as you sign up for this very affordable service, even more affordable than in-person therapy, within 48 hours, you'll be talking to a therapist. So I want you to unload these stressors in your life and get some unbiased feedback. You gain a lot when you talk one-on-one with somebody I know this for sure because when I was doing one-on-one client sessions, there are people that had been working on themselves for years and they just couldn't get to the heart of something. And this is why it's important that sometimes you need someone to help you get to the heart of something. So I am recommending BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. You'll get 10% off your first month. Make sure you spell it right. It's the word better, B-E-T-T-E-R help.com forward slash brain and make sure you put the word brain after betterhelp.com so you get 10% off your first month. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Welcome back. I hope you are getting enough balance out of this program. It's funny, I think about this uh, word balance and I hear some authors and speakers talk about it's not balance, it's not about balance and um, I really appreciate the word balance only because I think about how much work I used to do and how much I didn't play. I used to work all the time. I used to get home very late and uh, when I was married my wife said, you know, you work so late I never see you and it's affecting us it's affecting me and fortunately I really cared about the relationship I had but I was taking advantage of it 
And I think that's one thing that happens with us workaholics is that we take advantage of what's in our life thinking it will always be there. And so that's when I started realizing that no matter how much work I do, and I know there's a difference between workaholism and perfectionism, or they might share some components, but no matter how much work I do, I will never, ever be finished. Ever. (laughs) No matter how much work you do, you will never be finished. Even the heart surgeon example. The heart surgeon is never going to be finished. They may have finished with that one patient, but there's another one coming up. It's a never-ending job. And anyone in the medical field, it's a poor example because sometimes they have to work. Sometimes there's so many people coming in, uh, who's going to save their life? So it's kind of an unfair thing. But at the same time, there are people that choose that profession that go through this, and my heart goes out to them for sure. But you don't have to stress yourself out like some people do. Those in the medical profession, a lot of them are stressed because they're just overworked. And there's so many people. And now we're in the middle of a pandemic 2.0. And now they're starting to get stressed out again, I'm sure. And thankfully, there are people like them. And there are probably a lot of workaholics. And there are people that probably don't want to be workaholics. But what I'm saying is that when you compare maybe what you do, if you're not in the medical profession or not in some similar position, any type of first responder or anything like that, Sometimes the things that we focus on and pay attention to and can't stop doing doesn't really need to be done. Like I remember starting a job once and there was a stack of unfinished work orders at least a foot high. I mean, I might be exaggerating, but it was very high. I think it was at least six inches. It was very high off the desk. And my intention going in there was to take every single work order, get through it, finish it, and be done with it. And I knew I could do it because I'm a workaholic, I'm a perfectionist, I'm going to make it happen. And as soon as I started the job, um, phone calls started coming in. Everything else took priority over this stack of papers. And I barely touched it. I was there for six months. It was the only job I got fired from because it was so darn stressful it gave me it was almost giving me migraines but it gave me headaches every day and I just couldn't wait to leave it but I was such a perfectionist such a hard worker that I had to get fired in order for me to get some balance back in my life so I went into that position thinking that I should be able to get through this stack of papers but I didn't and it just made my life harder and I focused so much I'm getting that stack of papers done and then I was getting all these phone calls that it made me realize that I was spending so much time doing the impossible and things that there was really nothing I could do about in the first place. I thought I could. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have an assistant. I didn't have any of that. And it made me realize that some things really can't be done. Some work will never be done. And when you have that realization, you can breathe a sigh of relief because there's nothing you can do. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. And when there's nothing you can do, you can't do it. So you just move on. And sometimes life doesn't allow you to do that. Sometimes you're a caretaker for another person or a child or an elderly person and you have no choice but to show up and Yes, there are decisions that we make in life that we absolutely have to commit to or get someone else to commit to if we can't do it. But sometimes we don't have a choice. At least we feel like we don't have a choice. Sometimes there are choices. And we don't want to make those decisions to change the course of action that's going on now, to change our own path. Meaning, sometimes we feel like we have to take care of something instead of delegating it, hiring somebody else to do it if we can afford it or whatever. I mean, sometimes it's a family thing. Like if you're taking care of your elderly mom or grandmother or great-grandmother and it's very difficult and you already have a stressed life and you add that on top of it, yeah, it can feel debilitating. And this is where maybe perfectionism, it can't be done. You might not be able to be perfect and sometimes you're just doing what you can. 
I tell you what, for the people that are already overworked and overstressed and get more work handed to them, there's no time to be a perfectionist. <laughs> there's just no time. You can't do it. You just have to do what you can and move on. This is why some people's houses are a mess. <laughs> this is why sometimes you walk into somebody's house and it's just I don't know, clothes, dirt, dust, everything everywhere. And you think, wow, these guys, ugh, they live like this. And then I come home and our TV trays are out, our blankets are on the couch, our bed's a mess, I haven't cleaned the bathroom. It sounds disgusting, but this is what happens when you have so much on your plate that you just don't have time to do this other stuff. So I'm preaching to the choir, I know, but some people aren't like this. Some people will have a clean house and then wonder why the rest of us can't do it. So I always make sure the kitchen's clean and I do my best to keep the bathroom clean. And it, it is helpful to have guests over because that's when the deep cleaning happens. Anyway, enough about me. I'm going to go on to this email and see where we can go with it. Uh, this person wrote, please forgive me if you've already discussed this on your podcast. I have worked hard since I was 15. I'm in my 40s now, meaning that I have never not worked. There have been years at a time where I've worked multiple jobs at once. I easily find work and seem to be successful in every career I've had. I come from a working class family who values hard work and, quote, doing the right thing over personal wellness and growth. Whoa, there's a value that may need to be looked at again. Uh, I, I should also mention that I've always lived with a very high level of anxiety and I try to manage it with exercise when I have time to exercise. As an adult, I've struggled with work-life balance to the detriment of my relationships and my health. I've changed careers several times, but it never helps because I always end up taking on more. More hours, more responsibilities, etc. Until it becomes so overwhelming that I experience burnout. Physical pain, exhaustion, weight gain, disturbing nightmares and so much stress and overwhelm that I feel like I'm losing my mind. My employers would tell you that I am an amazing employee, but it's only because I'm a perfectionist and I give until I have nothing left. As I get older, it seems that my mind and body can take less and less of this. My anxiety is constant and I've recently been diagnosed with autoimmune conditions and a digestive order. Mentally, I'm near the breaking point once again and I don't know what to do. I feel like I just need a few months off from everything, just to sleep and breathe and cook meals and practice yoga, but I live alone with few resources and little savings, so I can't just not work. I need the income I make to cover my living expenses. I tried living with roommates to cut costs, but that only added stress to my life. I also love my job and I don't want to have to quit. What am I doing wrong? Why can't I break this cycle and live a healthier, more balanced life? Why do I seem to require so much more downtime than others? Why does everything stress me out and overwhelm me? Am I just weak? I see others working just as much or more than me, and they seem to be able to handle it just fine. I wouldn't mind working fewer hours, but how exactly do I do that and still pay the bills? All right, there it is. Uh, you just related to about 85 to 90% of the audience. <laughs> Thank you for for sharing the thoughts of the hive mind of everyone listening because we can all relate. Most of us can relate to what you're going through. If we can't relate now, we could at one time. I could definitely relate at one time. I can relate because I have empathy for your situation. I feel it. I feel you. I know where you are. Uh, and it's very difficult, especially when you have this background program that says you must work hard to show that you are a value and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth and I know you didn't say that but there are things that our caretakers have taught us our role models have taught us that in order to be respected and admired and not be isolated from everyone because you're not working hard enough we have these programs that are running in us that uh, take over and cause us to do things that aren't healthy for us you know, one of the first places I usually go when it comes to an imbalance in our life and a path to what I would call self-sabotage, because it seems like the things that you're doing is a path to self-sabotage, is looking at your values, meaning what's most important to you in all areas of life. 
what's important to you about a relationship, what's important to you about a career, what's important to you about personal time, and having a good grasp on those values so that you align with them. And what that means, let me give you a quick example, and I usually use the example uh, of work. Let's just say that what's most important to you about work is that you love the people that you work with, or at least respect them and get along, and you maybe you want weekends off, maybe you want to be paid what, you're, what you feel you're worth, uh, maybe you want a, a respectable boss or a supervisor, maybe you want to work with computers or technology, maybe you want to work with people. So there's all kinds of things that might be important to you about a place that you work or even a location that you work. Maybe you want to work inside. Maybe you want to work outside. I think it's important to get in touch with these things that are important to you. I think you need to understand what you value most. This is step one of trying to figure out why you keep going down this path. What is step one? It is to get in touch with what's most important to you about the major areas of life. So work and career is a major area of life. What's most important to you about it? And it doesn't matter if you're getting it or not getting what's most important now. What I want you to do is write down at least 10 things that are important to you about work and career. Write those down. Get familiar with those things. If you've never done this, it might be a very eye-opening exercise, but write this stuff down. And if you come up with more than 10, congratulations, that's great. But what I'm going to have you do is order them in the hierarchy that's most important. So you're going to take all those values from your career, put them in, in the order that are most important to you. You know, Are weekends off more important than what you get paid? Is getting along with your boss and being respected by your coworkers more important than weekends off? You just order it until everything looks right in the order that you want. And when you get that order, what you're going to do in your mind is solidify it. Meaning, you align with the values that you've written down. And usually, you only have to align with the top five values. So you might have 100 values on your list, but the top five, if you make it a habit of aligning with those values, meaning make the top three to five values so important that you do that over violating any other value, what ends up happening is you stop sabotaging your path and you start having a better life. It, it's hard at first because if you're not used to living like this, you end up making decisions that are just scary. You just don't want to make this decision like, what? If I ask for weekends off and they need me on weekends, they could fire me. But if that's your top value and you keep taking jobs or work that require you to work on Saturday and or Sunday, what ends up happening is you become unhappy at a deep level inside of you because you really want it and it's important to you. And if it's up there on the list, what ends up happening is you violate yourself. You compromise yourself. The foundation of who you are starts to disintegrate. And when that happens, the rest of your life is imbalanced. This is step one. <laughs> Get in touch with your values. And I do have a values workbook called Stop Self-Sabotage over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com under the deeper learning section. But I always share the information here for free, even though it's, it's really not that expensive. It's like nine bucks. Just because I know there are people that can hear it and go for it and understand what I mean. And there are other people that need to read it and see what I mean and have the worksheets to follow. And you can do that with the workbook as well. But I'm telling you here because it's so important that if you do this first step, everything else may actually fall into place. This is something that I have learned over and over again. As soon as I violate my own values, I walk down a path that is likely to become problematic. It usually ends up with me being unhappy for one reason or another because I chose not to honor my values. Not every time. There are some times where you can be loose with your values or one value overrides another for some reason because of some circumstance. No big deal. I talk about that in the workbook too, but telling you here right now, no big deal. Using the example, if you can't find work that allows you to have weekends off when that's like really high up there on your values list, 
But there are so many other things about the job that you love that maybe you can handle working weekends and maybe you can find a benefit to having days off in the middle of the week because that happens too. Your values can change as you change, as you think differently, as you consider different things. This is what happens. So number one, get in touch with your values. Get to know yourself, what's important to you. And not just work in all areas of life, you know, relationships, personal growth, health. Because if you stay in alignment, you will find that you won't go down these paths of imbalance, that your life will become more balanced without you having to do too much except stay in alignment. And yes, that is the hard part, staying in alignment. Because of what you said, you have a situation that you need to pay your bills and without the money, you could end up somewhere else. You could end up getting roommates again, which stresses you out as well. But as you write all these values down and you understand yourself more and more and what's most important, you'll be able to rearrange things that will be helpful as well. Again, this might be more difficult at first, but then it gets easier and easier as time goes on. And I tell you this from personal experience. I have quit jobs that have violated my boundaries and ended up broke. I have done that. I am not saying this is going to be a free ride or an easy ride. I have done this because my integrity was more important. Uh, the person I wanted to be was more important. My foundation, my emotional and mental and psychological foundation was much more important than what anyone could pay me to do, especially something I hated. In my value system, I am more important than my work. I am more important than money. That means if I am feeling ill one day and I have a full work day, I will likely take time to myself to work on myself and heal myself. Even though work is piling up and it's going to get busier and I'm going to have a terrible day tomorrow. But what ends up happening is that when you prioritize your values and stay in alignment with those, you end up balancing the entire system, your entire life, your environment, everything gets into balance because you took care of your higher level values. And a good example of that is, let's just say you're sick one day and you have all this work and you know that if you don't do the work, it's going to be twice as bad tomorrow. But here's what happens. You work anyway. You're sick and you work and you're miserable all day. And guess what? You didn't heal. So the next day, you're miserable again. And you still didn't take time to heal. And maybe the next day, and maybe the next day, and maybe over time you'll finally heal and you'll get past it. But you just had, whatever, four, eight, ten miserable days of working while you're sick instead of taking that one or two days to rest, to heal, to drink fluids, and do everything they tell you to do so that when you come back to work, you feel like a new person. I love coming to work feeling like a new person, even when there's double the work I need to do. What happens is because I feel so much better in myself, I'm going to have the energy and the bandwidth in my brain, especially to be able to handle this stuff now. This is how when you get into alignment with your values, how everything winds up balanced. When you give too much to one thing, it takes away from the other. And this is really starting to address some of the points in your email. And I'm going to go to a few of your points right now, in fact. One of the things that you said had to do with um, family values, where they said, you said that they value hard work and doing the right thing over personal wellness and growth. Let me give you a metaphor. <laughs> Let me give you this metaphor that I constantly think about every time I shop for toothpaste. I, my father told me all my life that he gets a certain brand of toothpaste, and I don't want to name the brand because it's not really the toothpaste's fault, it's his. Uh, he said, this is the brand of toothpaste I use because it is the best. He always said, this is the best brand of toothpaste you can get. And he told me this at a very early age. And I thought, wow, if it's the best, I want the best. So I started buying that toothpaste and I kept buying that toothpaste, I don't know, a good 20, 25 years. And um, one day I was thinking about my father and I remembered 
as he got older, he was losing more and more teeth. <laughs> so he is telling me about this toothpaste that's supposed to be the best. I mean, who does that? Talks about how great their toothpaste is. But he was emphasizing how great the toothpaste is. And I just believed him. I thought that he must know what he's talking about. And he has passed on now. But I remembered him telling me this over and over again. But I never put the pieces together that over the years he was losing more and more of his teeth. And he was still fairly young. In his 40s and 50s, he was, he was starting to lose his teeth. And so there might be some other issues that why that happened. But he told me about this toothpaste, and I just became a fan of that toothpaste. Until the picture of his face popped into my head with no teeth. And I finally connected dots that I never connected before. And I asked myself, why the heck would I take the advice to buy a certain brand of toothpaste from somebody who lost their teeth? And it wasn't like he got punched in the face and he lost his teeth. No, he just lost his teeth. They just kept falling out. So aside from whatever else is going on in his life, it made me realize that maybe the toothpaste he's talking about isn't the best or maybe there isn't a best toothpaste or whatever. I just realized that I held on to a belief or even what you might call a value for so long that I never considered that what he said might be wrong or even invalid in some way, like a best toothpaste. I mean, there are certain major brands out there that probably have all the same ingredients. Maybe there isn't a best or maybe there is but what he said about which his words about which toothpaste to purchase, I had to invalidate his words because he had no teeth. And so the day that vision of his face came to mind and he had no teeth and there I am in the grocery store ready to purchase that toothpaste again, I changed my mind. I changed the path of my life. And I realize this is just a minor example, but it's a major one when it comes to what we believe from our caretakers, our role models, our parents when we're growing up and how we implement these beliefs as values in our own life when the reality is some of them don't make sense, some of them don't apply, some of them are just words and they don't really have too much meaning. It did help me understand the importance of brushing my teeth but I wish he had taught me about flossing I had to have a lot of work done because I never flossed for so many years, and now I do. But his words about the best toothpaste are pointless because he wasn't a good source. So the reason I tell you this story, if you hadn't gotten it already, is I want you to look at the people that told you that doing the right thing over personal wellness and growth and working hard until you're just exhausted, I want you to look at those people's lives. Those specific people, if it's your dad, if it's your brother, if it's your mom or your sister, I want you to look at those people's lives and tell me, are they fulfilled? Are they happy? And especially, are they healthy? Are they well? Now, I'm taking a chance telling you this because maybe they are. But I wanted to tell you this story because often the people who guide us aren't the best guides. I'm taking a risk telling you that too because I'm a guide here as well. But I'm just asking you to consider who your guides are and what beliefs you've chosen to adopt because of those guides. Because if you can make a decision like I did when I was standing in the toothpaste aisle at the grocery store where I was going to reach for that toothpaste and said, wait a minute, my dad had no teeth. <laughs> Why would I listen to him? And for the first time, I bought another brand. And since then, I've been buying other brands just to try them out, just to taste them. And I've been quite happy doing other things than to follow this pattern that I was in. So I want you to do that too. There are often beliefs and values that are instilled in us at a very early age that we take with us and we just know that that's the way we should be and the way we should act and what we should do because that's what so-and-so said, and I'm going to take that with me. It's like my girlfriend. She said that one day she played something on the piano, and the person said, well, I hope you don't quit your day job. That was just an awful thing to say, because what it ended up doing was making her think that her music wasn't good. And I'm here to tell you, her music is great. 
And for somebody to come along and say, don't quit your day job, it affected her psychologically and it took her a long time. And maybe she still thinks about this, but it took her a long time to get past that because she believed this person. Sometimes people say things not knowing the psychological effect they can have on someone. So even though you heard you should always work hard and do the right thing, it doesn't matter if you're healthy, just keep working. It might have worked for you and it might have worked for them, but if you think about it logically, as you know, it doesn't have longevity. And this is what you're finding out. The more sick, the more physical pain, exhaustion, weight gain, disturbing nightmares, all the stuff that you put in there. Stress and overwhelm, of course. This is why I like the idea of not being perfect and seeing imperfection as perfect. I remember I built and installed a drawer in our pantry in our house. And the drawer made a lot of noise when you opened it because I had to like invent something. <laughs> I invented this rolling drawer. It was reinventing the wheel. But my girlfriend pulled it out and she goes, oh, it's so loud and noisy. And I thought, oh, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy when it was imperfect. But she said, resale, and I want to be able to pull it out easy. And I don't. she gave me some good reasons. So I built it again and it was quiet and it worked. And I thought, oh boy, it's not perfect. I know it's not. And she's going to find something wrong with it. And I was starting to get worried. And I finally decided, you know what? It's quiet and I don't care. I don't care. I've done the work. It works. This is what you get. <laughs> I didn't tell her that. I just felt that in my mind and body. I don't care. This is what you get. And that's what she got. She went in and she pulled it and she goes, oh my God, I love it. I thought, what? <laughs> this is not right. And she said, no, I love it. This is perfect. It doesn't make any noise. And I thought that she wanted something more perfect. I thought that she wanted, you know, this ultra smooth, ultra glide, um, levitating drawer that came out. And it turned out that she just wanted the noise gone. And what I ended up doing was filling in all the blanks of all this stuff that should make it perfect. And when she wants something, she does want it her way a lot of the times, but it doesn't have to be like perfect the way I interpreted it. So this is something we also do, is that we fill in a lot of the blanks of something that we think we should do, when in reality others don't expect as much as we give. And so we have to give ourselves a break and be careful about doing too much when we don't really have to do that much. So there's that part of it too. You said that your mind and body can only take less and less as time goes on and your anxiety is constant. And um, now you've been diagnosed with autoimmune conditions and digestive disorder. So you've got some serious foundational problems going on, which is why it's so important to get in touch with these values because maybe it's time to make your personal well-being, your personal health a priority. Without that... Without your physical foundation, what's going to happen? You're not going to be able to work. You might actually work yourself into more disability. You don't want that. You don't want to do that. And I think you know this. So where does the perfection come from in you? Why do you have to work so hard that you're so exhausted that you have no time for anything else and you have no balance? Why do you have to do that? Is it only because one of your role models said you have to do the right thing? and work hard? Because I'm going to ask you this question. What if I told you that your role models or your dad or whoever told you this said that he used to believe that personal wellness and growth was important and was the right thing, but now he believes that personal health is the most important and he wishes he never said that to you. What does that do inside you? I'm not there to observe your behavior or reaction. You might say it doesn't do anything, which is fine. You know, I'm not looking for a particular response. I'm just asking you to consider it. When he says this something different or whoever this person was that told you this or wherever you learned it, what happens inside of you? If you say nothing, then something else is going on. Something else is inside of you that is overriding you taking care of yourself. What if it's a money thing? Let's just say that you had a money issue all your life. You know, my parents were always poor and uh, we always had to work because we were always trying to make ends, ends meet. Okay, you might have that going on inside of you. What if they said, you know, I wish I had stayed poor because I was unhappy my entire life missing so many things in life. 
I wish I had done that and I wish I never told you that you had to work this hard because it made me miss so much in life. What happens inside you with that? You can pause anytime, but I'm throwing these at you because I want to make sure that a belief isn't driving you to do these things. I mean, I'm thinking it might be because of what you wrote, but if a belief is driving you to do, do these things, I want you to get in touch with those beliefs. What do I believe? I believe that working hard is more important than my health. All right, why do I believe that? Ask yourself that. I want to know exactly where that came from. Who did that come from? Who told you that? Well, it was just something I observed. Okay, maybe it's a role model. Who modeled it to you? And then when you think of that person, what you're going to do is run that challenge, meaning ask yourself, if they came to you and said, you know, I worked hard all my life and I taught you that working hard was more important than your health and well-being and I should never have done that. It has destroyed my life. It has created such imbalance and my relationships have been destroyed. I shouldn't have done that to you and I'm so sorry. I don't want you to follow in my footsteps. What happens inside you when I say that? Again, pause where you need to because I really want you to get any old beliefs out of there. And everything I've already said, I'm hoping builds into a better, stronger belief system inside of you that overrides anything else that was in there. Let me conclude this by addressing some of your questions at the end. Uh, what am I doing wrong? I think I was addressing that in the best way I could. There's probably more we can talk about. But um, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just a matter of following old beliefs, old principles, old values, and believing that those are the right things to do. So it's not about doing wrong, it's about thinking that you're doing something right that maybe isn't right. Uh, why can't I break this cycle and live a healthier, more balanced life? I'm going to answer that this way. There's usually something that you think you have to gain. I think it's so important to get in touch with what you think you're gaining. What do I have to gain by working this hard? What do I have to lose if I don't work this hard? There's another question. What will I absolutely lose by doing what I'm doing now, by being a perfectionist, by working this hard? Ask yourself those questions because you can't break the cycle because there's always some benefit. And I said this earlier, the benefit could be something you don't want to face. This is where procrastination steps in. You may not want to face what's outside of what you're working on or being a perfectionist about. A good example of that is a relationship that you're in and the person that you're with, you would rather be at work than with them. I've seen this, I've done this, where you're in a relationship and you would rather be working than with the person you're with. Which means you're avoiding, you're procrastinating, you're delaying dealing with or talking to the person that you're with. So instead of going home or seeing this person again and saying, look, I'm unhappy and there are problems here that we need to work out and I would love to work them out, but it seems that every time we try to work them out, we fail. So this isn't working for me or whatever the conversation is. It could be something more productive, like let's work this out. Let's go to counseling. Let's talk about this. But often procrastination and perfectionism uh, go hand in hand. We are procrastinating about something we don't want to deal with or do. So look at that. What are you avoiding? What are you delaying doing? And that might lead you in another direction. Next question. Why do I seem to require so much more downtime than others? That's an easy one. If you can't figure that out by now, I'm going to tell you. It's an easy one because of the word balance. If you do 98% of nothing but work and 2% of rest, how much balance is there? The scale is off the charts. You are listing in the water. You are falling apart because you spent 98% of the time doing something else and 2% of the time doing something that maybe you appreciate. I get up from my desk at least every two hours. I will not sit here all day long at my desk and stare at my screen and do whatever I need to do for that long. Even if I'm hyper-focused on something, I still need to get up. I still need to walk around. I still need to go outside and breathe some air. It is all about balance for me. This is how I stay unstressed and unoverwhelmed. 
no matter what's going on, if I get too stressed or overwhelmed, which does happen, I can't think, I don't feel good, I'm unhappy, and then my work suffers. And if my work suffers, what's the point? I'm not going to be able to work anyway, so I better get some balance. So you have to bring more of this balance in your life. That's why you need more downtime. My girlfriend does this all the time. She has ADD like crazy, and she will be at her computer for four, five, six, eight, nine, ten hours. And I'll ask her, have you uh, gone to the bathroom? Have you hydrated? She's not that bad all the time, but sometimes she'll do this. And she'll say, no. Have you eaten? No. And then she'll ask me, how do you stay so calm? How do you stay so balanced? I'll give her the same answer. I say, I get up every two hours. I walk around. I move my body. You have to unplug from what you're plugged into and get out of the matrix for a while and be in a different state of mind. This is how you create more balance. And uh, with my girlfriend, she told me, I just need like five days off in a row because she never gives herself time off when she's doing everything else. It is more difficult to set your life up like this. I understand not everyone can leave their desk or leave what they're doing. Sometimes you have to work straight through and I totally get that. But there's always time for a bathroom break. That's what I used to do. I used to take a bathroom break and I would take a break in the bathroom. I couldn't go anywhere else, but I knew I could go to the bathroom. I was allowed to go to the bathroom. This was like 20 years ago. I decided that I needed to take breaks and I couldn't get my breaks the way I wanted. So I went to the bathroom. It wasn't the best, but at least I unplugged. And that is required. That's why you need more downtime. People who don't unplug need more downtime. Next question. Why does everything stress me out and overwhelm me? More downtime. That's the simple answer to that. When you're ill and you go to work anyway, instead of taking some time to yourself to heal, you will be more stressed and overwhelmed. That's just a quick answer. There's more to it. But everything I talked about today kind of covers that as well. But I want to get that through your mind is that you need to make sure that you are strengthening your foundation. You are continuing to maintain it because once you let it go, everything will stress and overwhelm you. And of course, your values have a lot to do with that as well. Next question, am I just weak? No, if anything, you are stronger than most people. This is the thing is that when you have the energy, you use it, but you're using it on things that are draining you. And so you just have to use it in a better way and utilize it. Weak people don't do that. That's not a weakness. That is a strength. You just have to use your strengths differently. Definitely, you're not weak. Next question. I see others working as much or more than me, and they seem to be able to handle it just fine. I highly doubt it. (laughs) I highly doubt they're working more than you from what you just told me, or they're doing things in a different way. I wonder if they leave their desk every two to four hours. I wonder if they take breaks like I do. I wonder if they take uh, time to themselves. I wonder if they play music to calm down. I wonder if they unplug. And you may just want to ask them too, what do you do to find balance? I think that's a great question for people that you see seem to have it great or seem to be fine. Ask them, what do you do? You'll probably find some stark contrast in what you do and what they do. And your final question, which might be more difficult, I wouldn't mind working fewer hours, but how exactly do I do that and still pay the bills? The good news is you wouldn't mind working fewer hours. That's fantastic. That means you're willing to give in a little bit. But how exactly do I do that and still pay the bills? You're right. Some bills will suffer. I had to file bankruptcy because I was in your place. And I'm not telling you that it's something that you should do. I'm just saying when I did it, it was the breakdown before the breakthrough, meaning I did not want to do it. I did not want to get to that point in my life. I did not want to be that person that couldn't pay his bills or chose not to pay his bills. I wanted to be a person of integrity, of honesty. And when my wife at the time said, maybe you should file bankruptcy, I thought, no way, that is not going to happen. But after thinking about it for a few weeks, I decided to go through it, and it was, for me, the best decision I ever made. I'm not saying you should do this. I'm not giving you financial advice. This is not a professional suggestion. This is a personal experience that I went through. And I'm not even saying that bankruptcy would be a good choice. The only reason I gave that example 
is because there are steps that I chose to take that scared the crap out of me, but I did them anyway. And that's not the only example. The other example I already gave you was quitting a job when I had no other source of income, but I did it anyway. And I was happier without the money (laughs) because the money was coming from a place that I loathed. I did not like being there at all. It felt like a prison. And when I quit, I was able to regroup, rebalance myself, reground myself, and get into a better space inside myself. This is like taking a day off when you're sick. That's what I did. I took some time off because I was mentally ill at work, and that doesn't sound right, but I was having a psychological issue at work. I was feeling stressed and oppressed, and I needed to get away from work. And so that's what I did. I got away from work. And when I did, it's just like leaving a toxic relationship. As soon as you get out of a toxic relationship, it takes a few weeks for the fog to lift and your brain to clear so that you can finally make decisions that are right for you and move forward in life instead of always feeling like you're several steps behind. Not saying you have to quit, not saying you have to go bankrupt. I'm just saying sometimes you have to make decisions that seem very scary and you have no idea how you're going to survive. But the good news is, and this is the best news ever, I'm going to give it to you, is that you have already proven that you will do anything it takes to get through it, to make money, to survive. You've already proven that. You already have it in you. This is something I had to learn about myself. I already had it in me. that I knew that when I quit, I knew I was going to get through it. And my proof was my history. My proof was my history of losing work in the past. I've lost jobs before. I've quit before. I've had no work lined up before. And I still made it. I was even homeless. And I still made it. I got through it. That proved to me that I could do it. When you've gotten through it before, you know you can do it. And if you haven't gotten through it before, I know you so well, even though all I have is an email. (laughs) I know you so well because you're a perfectionist that you will do anything it takes to make sure that you survive this, that you even thrive out of this. You just might need to give yourself a long enough break, even if that means going on a two-week vacation just to disconnect from everything so that the fog can start to lift so that you can think clearly. This is one of those things that um, people in abusive relationships get into. The toxic abusive relationship fills the other person's head with fog. And there's a better way to explain that, but I'm going to use that. It fills your head with this emotionally distressing fog. And you can't think clearly because you're in the fog and you just don't know what to do and don't know how to get out of it or don't know how to fix it. But when they leave the abusive relationship and several weeks have gone by, the fog starts to lift and they start to find their own thoughts again. They start to realize, oh, I'm smarter than I thought. Oh, I'm a good decision maker. Oh, I know what to do now. This happens over and over and over again. I see it all the time. I've worked with many clients who've been in emotionally abusive relationships. This is the story they echo to me over and over again. When I was gone for a long enough period of time, the fog lifted and I realized I actually had thoughts under all this stress and overwhelm. I actually had a brain under there. I could think clearly. I knew what to do. When we're in the mess, we sometimes don't know what to do because we're so involved with everything. If every finger is responsible for every button of a machine and you don't have time to use your fingers for anything else and your feet are working the pedals and your head is working, uh, I don't know, some virtual reality thing and your body is working something else, if every part of you is occupied, You do not have time to think about yourself for yourself and to think clearly because you're occupied. Every part of you is occupied. So unplugging unoccupies you and gets you into a better thinking space so that you can make better decisions. This is all I've got for you. I hope it has been helpful. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for writing this. I do wish you much strength and healing through this. You will get through this. You're a go-getter. You're an action taker. You're going to make it happen. I appreciate you. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Get 10% off your first month of this excellent online service. It is online therapy, online counseling, and like I said, I get lots of great feedback. I also want to thank the patrons this week. They are Lucy, Holly, Veronica, Vanessa, Linda, and Deborah. All wonderful people. I am grateful for you. Those are the financial backers of the show. I read different names every week, and I call them patrons, the patrons of the week. And if you find value in this show like they do and you'd like to give back, head over to moretob.com. And you can give a single donation or monthly, and uh, some people like to do that, and um, I am so grateful. Thank you again, patrons, and thank you everyone that donates and gives to the show. It's what keeps this going. It is the financial backbone of the show. Thank you again. And I want to mention the safe empowerment system. If you have anxiety or you're thinking about having anxiety because that's what anxiety does, it is future thinking, future worry. What's going to happen? And sometimes it's past worry, like, oh my God, it already did happen. I hope it doesn't happen again, which brings us back to the future and on and on. So we don't want to stay in that cycle and we want to get out of that space and into a more peaceful space where we're not worried or concerned about anything other people's thoughts or judgments it would just be nice to move forward without anxiety and i heard from somebody and this is funny because this person left a review in itunes but not of the podcast they left a review of the safe system so i just want to read a couple lines this person said back in april i purchased the safe empowerment system and after listening to the introduction i felt pretty confident this would work And then they said, I hesitated to make any public comments because I wanted to make sure. And it's now been over three months and I can confidently say this has made a huge change in my life. I almost immediately went from being terrorized daily by anxiety to a sense of calm. I don't mean I am calm all the time. I mean I'm calm instead of terrorized when I feel anxiety approaching. I feel safe. They want on to write some more. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I am so grateful that they put that out there. This is unsolicited testimony. So thank you, MR and Typhan. That was their handle. I've read that handle before. I think they might have reviewed uh, Love and Abuse too. So this person follows my stuff and it sounds like they're applying what I'm teaching in some of these programs. So I am grateful. Thank you for your comment there. And the safe empowerment system is for social and generalized anxiety. If you're dealing with that, head over to quietbegins.com and you'll see the safe empowerment system there. And it is still 50% off and I think it will be indefinitely because I want as many people to have access to it as possible. And COVID did a number on some people's finances. So I'm just going to leave it there. Quietbegins.com. And thank you again, person who wrote that, MR and Typhan. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) I appreciate you. And remember, if you are having a difficult relationship, you can go to loveandabuse.com. And that is my other podcast called Love and Abuse. And um, it'll teach you all about manipulation and control and emotionally abusive relationships. And if you are the difficult one in the relationship and you want to change that, head to healedbeing.com and see if that program is right for you. I got all kinds of stuff going on trying to help as many people as I can. And thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And speaking of anxiety, and I think this technique is in the program. I'm going to tell you what it is because it's something I learned in NLP and I'll never forget it. It actually has to do with time. Anxiety has to do with a future event, typically. And it's a worry or a concern about a future event. So the question I learned in NLP is if you're feeling anxiety or Think about a time, this is how it went, think about a time when you had anxiety, or if you're feeling it now, even better because we can get into that state, but think about a time when you had anxiety and really step into that and feel the anxiety. I know it's not pleasant, but just put yourself there for a moment, even in a small way. If you feel it in your body, you're probably there, so that's where we need to be for this, but now that you're in this anxiety state, I want you to think of what caused that anxiety or what is causing that anxiety, some worry, worry, concern, or fear. And now I want you to imagine what it would be like 15 minutes after the successful completion or conclusion of that event. So whatever you fear or are concerned about or are worried about, what would it feel like 15 minutes 
after the conclusion of that event. Really step into that place, you know, you were anxious about something and now it's 15 minutes later and that thing no longer exists, it's in the past. 15 minutes after the successful completion or conclusion of that event, how does it feel right now? If you followed along, you probably feel better. I use that little trick. <laughs> if you don't feel better, then I might not have said it right for you, and some people may have gotten it, some people may not have. But the idea is to put yourself in the state of mind that you'd be in after the anxiety goes away. And to make the anxiety go away, you have to be out of the anxiety event. And what you do is imagine that you're out of the anxiety event or whatever you want to call it, the interaction, the feelings that you have in a crowd of people or the feelings that you have in a job or around certain people. When that event is over or when you've completed it or concluded it and 15 minutes later after that, how does that feel? To me, it feels pretty darn good. I like being in that state. And what I'm going to hear is, yeah, but that's nice, but it's in my mind and I'm not in that state all the time. It's nice in that moment when I think about it, but then I go right back to the anxiety state. Uh, then do it again. <laughs> then do it again. And I know this is a cheating shortcut and it's not going to solve everything, but it's a quickie in the moment. It's a quick fix in the moment. You know, if it works for you. If it doesn't, that's why I created the safe system. There's a lot of walkthroughs and subconscious stuff in there, so that might help you as well. But use this. Try this. If you're in an anxiety moment or event, what would it be like 15 minutes later after this event is over? Just put yourself in that state. Actually see through your own eyes being in that place 15 minutes after that event successfully completes and now you're in this new space. Hearing what you hear, feeling the feelings of being in this new place with that old feeling way back when and you don't even have to think about it anymore because it's over. It's over. Feels good to me. <laughs> Puts me in a nice calm state. And I hope it does for you. And if it doesn't, just remember, keep an open mind. Because this is how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.